I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's like imagine walking into work and you're just like (laughs) a customer service representative. And the guy next to you is a customer service representative who whenever he has to make a sale has to play Russian roulette and he still gets paid minimum wage. Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. We're here to do the research so you don't have to. Uh, for all your, your fantasy tabletop needs, uh, my name's Tully Grimley and here beside me... Danae Bags, and I did just dab to that intro song. And Lachlan Hoy. Lachlan Hoy and yeah, kind of ditto. <laughs> I'm here with my two doofus co-hosts uh, to do all sorts of deep diving onto specific aspects of your fantasy tabletop worlds. Mm. Um, today... We're going to be talking about pirates. Yo-ho. Yo-ho. And a bottle of rum. <laughs> Which we don't have, sadly. No, we didn't have uh, rum. Next week, I will pull through. We're doing brewing. But for the time being, Danae, do you want to talk us through some pirate history? Absolutely. Uh, look, piracy's probably existed for as long as oceans were used for commerce. So in your specific world, it really comes down to do you have a large body of water? Do ships go on it for commerce? You will have pirates. that they're, they're as inevitable as rats on your ship, to be honest. The earliest known pirates were the Lockins in as early as 400 BC. Jesus, that is... Yeah. Too early. And that they were a thorn in the Egyptian side. So do you oh. really think about the Egyptians having a problem with pirates? Not really. It's it's like it's like ninjas and cowboys. They shouldn't be in the same pl- the same time period. Like, I don't know. I think it's kind of beautiful that we have this one constant all through human history. There's the one been pirates. The one thing that connects us to all our ancestors. Robbery. Yeah. yeah. We love to steal. <laughs> we love to steal. Essentially we're just Khajiit. Yeah. Um, piracy, the, probably the earliest known, like, properly recorded incidents was in about 14th century BC. That's when a group of people got together. They started to get organised, finally. And they called themselves a really uh, cool name. It's, um, it's a bit hard to pronounce, but they called themselves the Sea Peoples. <laughs> <laughs> because... We are the people. <laughs> We're from... We're from, from the, the sea. sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they threatened that sort of Aegean, Mediterranean kind of voyage area. And then we come to like maybe the pre-classical era with the Greeks. And to the Greeks, piracy was considered a totally legit profession, even an honourable one. What do you do? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm a burglar. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do you go to uni for that or? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and uh, in those days, it, a lot of piracy was just ab- abduction, abducting women and children too. Oh so, my God. So they were just like, that's fine. I can't believe that wasn't frowned upon. I know. Um, by the end of the classical Greek era, about the start of it, piracy was uh, beginning to be a bit of a disgrace to have as a profession so you know they got their heads around it eventually um then we went through to the roman republic era and the romans had a big problem with these guys called the illyrians Mm. and they basically had to go to war and just absolutely smash them out of existence because they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff like they even uh captured julius caesar this this next sort of i've heard about that yeah when they they tried to ransom him off and basically the story goes that Julius Caesar was so outraged at the amount that they offered, it was so low, that he d- demanded that they doubled it. Yeah, and they did. And they I think they ransomed him back for like 75 gold marks, which was just oh, 50 talents, sorry. 
which was just a ridiculous amount back in the day. Mm. And those at that point, like that was from a group of pirates called, uh, I think it's Cilicians, you pronounce it. And that was the first uh, group of pirates that basically set up their own nation um, in somewhere that's now Turkey, but then was called um, Cilicia along the an- an- the Anatolian coast. Um, so, fun fact, Caesar was said to return afterwards and completely mess those pirates up. after that uh, there were some gothic pirates which sounds like super cool fantastic i know radical gothic pirates just storming your ships and your i am here for gothic pirates with eyeliner hell yeah i mean that's probably just captain jack sparrow's yeah initial (laughs) thought process was "Hmm." he originally just looked like edward scissorhands at sea and then they were like actually we need to make this a little more piratey yeah 100 percent uh and i think we've all heard of vikings right it's, sorry, what, what was that? What are they called? The, the Vikings. Vikings? Never heard of them. <laughs> well, they, the name even translates to Sea Raiders. And basically, the Middle Ages was just infested by pirates. And then you got the Vikings, which just had about an 800-year rampage across a lot of the world. They just... They just spent a lot of time well, pillaging. They just messed some stuff up, okay? And then we went into a big golden age of piracy. We're talking between like 100 years, about to 1620 to 1720. And they were just messing everything up for everyone. Uh, and Spain, France, England, Portugal, like they're all really Jeez. against each other. So they just kept raiding each other and raiding each other and raiding each other. Because I always thought of that sort of era. It was all you know, inquisitions and re- holy wars and that sort of stuff. But pirates as well. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting fact when you get to actual countries having a problem with each other and they see pirates storming their ships and they go, okay, well, what can we do about this? And this is where you start getting the different terms for pirates that you guys might read about or hear about or even use without really knowing the difference. You know, there's pirates, there's privateers, there's corsairs, there's buccaneers, and they're oh. all they're all oh. very different. Yeah. So that just came from the different language groups that... Well, pirates are your sort of generic, you know, illegal robbers on the, sh- on the sea, you know, mm. burglars yeah. with boats, right? Um, the privateer are actually captains who are in the semi-employ of a nation at war. Oh, so it's so like legal, it's legal piracy. Oh, yeah, okay. Basically. Were, yeah, naval mercenaries. So, yeah, they acted only under sanction of a sponsoring nation and they had to share a portion of the plunder, like, like a legit sort of war activity. Insofar as war <laughs> activity can be legit, <laughs> war is bad. Yeah, I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that they were probably a little bit more like state-sanctioned pirates and a little bit less like you know, lawful mercenaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, but the main difference was a privateer wouldn't tack a ship or port other than those belonging to the nation on his commission. Um, and then you have corsairs and buccaneers. Now, that's where you start getting into the different language groups and different areas. So the corsairs was an English word applied to foreigners, usually the Muslim or the French pirates who sailed around the Mediterranean, and it was generally a negative term. But mm. a buccaneer... Uh, that is like a really specific group of privateers and pirates um, that comes from the French word boucan because basically there were a group of men and women on Hispanolia who smoked meat made from pigs and cattle there and they sold it to the ships going through and then they thought, oh, actually, it would probably make us more money to just take things from the ships, really. (laughs) (laughs) So they were just a bunch of hipsters who'd started... Started a barbecue on their ship, and then they were like, "Actually, this isn't making us any money. We're just going to steal." Yeah, a hundred percent. And and so yeah, they were really specific to that whole like sort of Caribbean, Central American, Pacific region. That's what we call character growth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the idea of like your, you know, your Caribbean food. That sort of that being your pirate fare. Mm. You just think of pirates as eating purely, you know... Coconuts. Well, pickled meats and, like, the stuff that you would get in rations on English ships Mm. because we always think of pirates as sort of that very English invention that we've got. Really? See, I always think of pirates more as that Caribbean sort of coconut and banana. Curse you, Disney. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I always imagine imagine tropical. 
yeah, go. tropical pirates. We're so buccaneers, really. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, a thing to remember, I think, is your pirates in your world, uh, as soon as you have any kind of narrow channel of water that will funnel ships through there, that's where your pirates are going to be. So if your characters are ever going to go through a body of water that narrows and there's any sort of trade in the area, they're probably going to be attacked by pirates. So it's the channels and canals and the ports. Well, yeah. maybe not the ports, but yeah, whenever, wherever there's a bottleneck happening. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine some of the ports, depending on how well fortified they were. Yeah, That's absolutely. I mean, a lot of piracy wasn't um, against ships, but against coastal towns and ports. Yeah. So. yeah. And I mean, piracy exists today, still. Oh, it's still yeah. a massive problem, and, and it still exists particularly in in these sort of narrow areas, like the Gulf of Aden and the Indian Ocean, all those kind of areas. Yeah, so it's basically where you know a ship can't get away from you. That's where your, your pirates are going to be. Exactly. Yeah, piracy at um in terms of like international law is treated as like the same level of no one can ever do this as like genocide and stuff. It's like yeah. the, piracy is literally one of the most illegal things in the entire world. That's crazy. There are like four or five things that are as or maybe slightly more illegal than piracy. So like I, I'm just imagining like human experimentation, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Sits lower than piracy? That's messed up. Yes, probably. Well, it depends. That's so. Um, Not to turn this into like a legal show. though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, you can kill our people, but don't take our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, God, capitalism strikes again. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is. There you go. And were you going to talk at all about any specific pirates, notable figures? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting how popularised pirates became in literature uh, specifically because basically after the end of the 18th century, pirates just became really popular for some reason and Mm. they started being portrayed as um, not so much ruthless as clever and rebellious and, and they sort of started becoming a symbol as like people who defied the oppressive bureaucracy of modern times, you know. Mm. So, and a lot of those sort of popularised tropes survive today. Like, you've all heard them, like the yo-ho kind of way of speech, the Jolly Roger black flag, yeah, the well pirate code. Yeah, well, that's the most famous pirate flag there is. You know, open any children's book, you'll see the skull and crossbones. Yeah, which is absolutely, like, not what they would usually use. Usually they just use, like, a blood red flag mm. to mean if you resist, we kill you all. And didn't most of the, like, really famous pirate captains have their own flags anyway? Yeah, they absolutely did because... They were all commissioned works. Yeah. (laughs) Commissioned your artists, kids. (laughs) It was a point of pride for them, you know. A lot of the pirates had a lot of ships and a lot of people under their command. My favourite one was this Chinese woman. Um, I can't remember her name off the tip of my head. But basically, she openly waged war against every naval superpower of the time. So that's like, you know, China, England, Portuguese. Remained undefeated. And she had 80,000 pirates. Undefeated against China, England and Portugal. Yeah. Don't try it at home, kids. Wow. They were all huge. Yeah, they were superpowers of the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the height of their naval strength. Yeah. Oh, man. She did not care. Going up against literal armadas. Uh-huh. Wow. But she, to be fair, she had like 1,800 ships, 80,000 pirates of her own. So Yeah, that's, that's a considerable force. Pretty considerable, yeah. Basically, Chinese pirates just exploded onto the scene like after all the other pirates had kind of stopped and they were like, oh, wait, this is cool. Can we join in? Man. So... Yeah, the, everyone had a had a bit of it, um, but it did die down after mm. that. Everyone was sort of like, "All right, maybe we should stop taking things that aren't ours." Maybe for the most part. For the most part, yeah, they didn't do it as openly. <laughs> yeah, we anyway. we transferred into white collar crime. Exactly, much easier to hide. Yeah, crime's just always always just evolving to make it just that little bit easier. Absolutely, Which, you know what? You got to really appreciate. Yeah. Respect the hustle. Respect, Respect the, hustle. the hustle. And um, well, with that, let's let's talk a little bit about the hustlers. 
Mm. Um, so these are. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible segue. I, this is the first episode. I promise I'll get better at segues. Um, I really hope you don't. I really enjoyed that. Excellent. <laughs> cool. Expect did. terrible segues from here on in. Um, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about the roles on a ship, um, the kind of people that you'd expect to see, and the roles that they're going to be filling out. So um, we're going to start, I guess, with uh, with the person that you think of the most in on a pirate ship, which is the captain. So there's this, there's this big image of the captain of a ship being quite ruthless, being you know a fearsome tyrant, and everyone works underneath them. Um, but actually, at least um, throughout a lot of uh, English pirates, uh, the ones that we see a little more of in literature, um, the pirates that they were based on, the captain was actually democratically elected. Um, so what you'd find is a captain was supposed to be fearless and decisive in battle, but outside of combat, they were meant to be liked. Mm. They were at least meant to be respected. Absolutely. You know William Kidd, one mm. of the most famous pirates, who's basically like the stylish Scotsman that got commissioned as a privateer to get rid of pirates. And his crew basically said lol to that and then yeah. elected him pirate captain. So oh he, he really didn't have much of a choice. No. But... um. Yeah, that's the thing. They like they'd be skilled fighters because they needed to be to show their mettle, but more so than being ruthless, they needed to be respected by their crew. So they were they were tacticians and they were fighters, but they were well loved or at least well respected. And at the end of the day, like you'd imagine that naval captains would have a lot more freedom to be kind of as ruthless as they wanted because they had the entire like force of a nation and an army behind them mm. whereas like you've got a pirate captain you're stuck out in the middle of the ocean with very little supplies and everyone in the world is out to kill you you've got to get along running a ship is hard yeah, yeah. and that's actually uh, you've just t- uh, touched on one of the main reasons why we saw a lot of pirates is they were skilled sailors who had defected from various militaries because they were sick of being bossed around. They were sick of having absolutely no power and no respect. And they wanted to be somewhere where they could have equal shares in whatever they, whatever they took. And so those are the kind of people that ended up as pirates. That being said, though, which, which is very true, mm. but I think there's also a sort of more glamorised idea of pirates as you know, scruffy ruffians who nevertheless, like, weren't that bad. Oh, they were, were bad people. But really, it was out of necessity, too. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't even just that they wanted to be free from that oppression, which I'm sure they did, but really most pirates felt forced into that life because they, they couldn't, they didn't have any other means of survival. Yeah. Um, mm. It was definitely a way out of poverty and a way out of military service. It was always the the way to escape something. Um, there's very few, you know, accounts of pirates in history saying, hey, this is what I've wanted to be since I grew up. <laughs> it's, they were either poor or downtrodden and that's where they ended up. Yeah, because it's like if your only skill set is being able to sail and you can't join a military or a military is mistreating you or they're not paying you or anything, then mm. at the time, what else, is, what other options do you have? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so... Um, on that note, actually, there's um, the navigators, the sailing masters. Um, they were very rare. Um, there was not really much in the way of cartography for a very long time, and what maps there were weren't very precise. So to have a good sailing master, someone who could navigate you well, uh, they were worth their weight in gold. So they were one of the few sets of people that the militaries did actually respect quite a lot. Um, they would pay them very handsomely. And... Um, and as such, what ended up happening was pirates needed to kidnap them. They're, the sailing masters didn't want to leave, so they'd just take them. Um, yeah. Just take them. The one people who don't want to defect and they're the most important people to get on the boat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so very rarely would you find a, a sailing master that actually wanted to defect. Um, they may end up having a loyalty to their, to their ships um, in the new you know, on the new ship, but they were always, almost always taken from the military um, because they were just the most valuable people on a ship. <laughs> That's like, uh, I think I'd be voted least likely to be a navigator. 
honestly, <laughs> judging by my over-reliance on Google Maps, <laughs> I would not be worth my weight in gold. Yes. No, we, today we, uh, we navigated you to a certain place with a pin dropped on a map and I get, we get a, a photo in the group oh. chat later on saying, hey, is it this, <laughs> this abandoned like back of a building? It looked so dodgy and I was like, do you just not want me to be in this podcast? <laughs> is this how you're going to take me out? So, yes, definitely not the navigator here. Yeah, so as far as um, the sort of roles and the democracy that we're going to see, you, again, think of the captain as being definitively in charge, right? Um, Even if they're democratically elected, they're the one that's in charge. As it turns out, the quartermaster on most pirate ships would have exactly the same say as a captain outside of combat. So whenever they weren't fighting somebody, the quartermaster had equal say in everything, um, would tend to defer to the captain... Um, in cases of conflict, but they were in charge of divvying out rations, divvying out the spoils of the, the spoils of whatever they'd found. Um, the quartermaster was essentially the union rep, which, if I remember correctly, is a lot more responsibility than uh, was typically awarded to a quartermaster on ships at the time. Mm. Well, um, on on military ships, you'd see the captain, and then the first mate would act as their deputy. But the quartermaster on a pirate ship would actually act as both first mate and quartermaster. Mm. Um, And they would take on a a bit of the responsibility of what you would usually see, um, like a supplies manager or something like that. Um, That became their role. That almost reminds me of the uh, dual emperors of the later Roman period. You know, they sort of had a check on each other's power so they didn't make any really stupid decisions. Mm. Yeah, that, that actually does fit very well. That's pretty much what you're looking at in this this case. It was it was checks and balances. And so you had your your union rep and then your combat, then your tactician, and they would pretty much be your leadership team. Um, and then under, underneath them, uh, the next most powerful person tended to be the botswain, um, who was the supply master. They were the one in charge of restocking the ship, making sure there was enough food, um, making sure that uh, the people were handling the riggings all right, and that the sails were done, anchors were dropped properly. Um, The Botswain sort of oversaw the general day-to-day runnings of the ship. It was about making sure that nothing really went wrong. Um, And so as far as pay goes, I haven't mentioned pay yet, but um, it sort of differs depending on the ships, but the captain and the quartermaster would typically typically either get two shares of whatever plunder they got or one and a half. Um, and then the botswain would get either one and a half or one and a quarter shares. So it was still, they got paid extra because they were filling out an extra role. But also not much extra. No, it was, it was a marginal, it was slightly better. Um, and then underneath them, you would see uh, your ship's carpenter. Um, now, here's something that we were a bit horrified by before the episode. Um, the ship's carpenter was known for you know plugging leaks, making sure all the, the fixtures were set, making sure things were repaired properly. Um, they were also the ship's surgeon in most cases. So, so that same saw that you're using to cut up the, the banner, that's going to be cutting up bones. So they were also plugging leaks and... Yes, yes. Also, <laughs> also plugging <laughs> leaks and straight. patching things up. Yeah, cool. All um, right. Which, you know, I imagine is part of the reason why we see a lot of, you know, wooden legs. It's just we have some spare ply hanging around. That's just what we do. I hate that. I love and I hate when you learn things that actually make sense and you're like, (laughs) why did I just accept the fact that, for example, people had wooden legs? Like, why did I never question that, where that came from? And then there's this really obvious explanation. Oh, here's a a fun little tangent. Um, Do you know why eye patches are common uh, imagery for pirates. I do actually. This is great fun. Do you know I don't Lachlan? Know. Why, why well, is that? Give us your guess. Give us your best um, guess. I don't know. There was a pirate ritual where, when you became the captain, you had to get an eye taken out because He's you had got to it. prove your dedication <laughs> to the role. Well, shit. <laughs> Ab- absolutely, a hundred percent correct. Wow, I can't believe Except I got it. When it's not. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, so, when in combat, you didn't really have time to to adjust uh, to the different lighting settings that you have above deck and below. So above deck, you are oh in... Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? You are in bright light. And then below deck, there's no artificial lighting because you don't want fire running when you're running 
um, gunpowder up and down the decks and it's too wet anyway. So, so just swap your eye patch over and now you've got an eye that can see in the dark. Yeah. And so you had your dark eye and your light eye. <laughs> Lachlan just looks devastated. That's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> no, it's oh not. My God. That's, that's a life hack. But that like was that, the original That saved them valuable time going up and down the yeah, decks. but did it work? Apparently yes. so. Oh, okay. Well, then. <laughs> well, let's try it now. <laughs> Just hold your it's, hand it's over your eye for the to, rest of the episode. To dilate their pupils before going below deck. That's ridiculous. That is genius. Yeah. I, I mean, you've got to hand it to them. It's, it's ingenuity. It's very, very well thought out. They really patched up that problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, please let me die. Oh. Uh. So, in addition to... I mentioned that there's gunpowder running up and down the various decks. Yeah? So, here we come to... like sentient gunpowder? Yes, there's just like... (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen Spirited Spirited Away, the dust mites? Uh, It's just like that. They're just bouncing up the stairs. Oh, my God. Um, I want to be a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) Magic. So, um, one of the least glamorous jobs, and in fact, one of the highest uh, fatality rates, uh, was the powder monkeys. Um. So these were generally teenagers, um, but yeah, they were the people that were in charge of bringing powder, uh, gunpowder from the powder reserves up to the cannons. Um, generally just a bad job to have because you are holding explosive ordinances when bullets and cannonballs are flying. And that was the least paid job. And that was... Well, they, they were paid one share, exactly the same as every other crew member. No. Um, nah, screw that. Same thing can be said for the riggers, who were the people that were in charge of lit- just standing on the, the beams of the sails to rig up the, the sails to let everything down. Um, they were running, like, metres up in the air on, t- like, just beams of wood that were wet and salty and they would slip off and die and all they had was just a rope. Just it's- a rope. It's like it, it's like imagine walking into work and you're just like you're like a customer service representative and the guy next to you is a customer service representative who whenever he has to pl- make a sale has to play Russian roulette and he still gets paid minimum wage. <laughs> that's, that's so true though. Yeah, it's about right. Um, Ridiculous. They just I got mean, paid one share. Having a customer service job is essentially playing Russian roulette every day with like, That's fair. Which one will make me want to kill myself today? You know, customers do kind of just be like that, huh? Yeah, sometimes life do be like that. <laughs> sometimes it be like that. Um, but on uh, as far as some of the other more glamorous jobs, um, the master gunner was sort of your your munitions person. They were in charge of they were in charge of personally sifting the gunpowder regularly to make sure it didn't clump together, make sure it stayed dry. Um, so still a fairly fairly dangerous job, but. They were the ones that got to do it outside of combat. Um, so, they so basically this dude just got to like gold pen, oh. gunpowder, and he gets a title that sounds like a sick Borderlands 3. Like. <laughs> it, it wasn't the only thing he did, but that was like the primary job was upkeep of cannons and upkeep of munitions um, and sifting powder. They also were, also were the ones that called the shot when the captain said fire they were the one that passed the order down the line and a lot of the time they were loading cannons as well. Um, they they manned cannons. They knew how it all worked, but they were sort of... Yeah, they were second in command when it came to using the cannons. I feel like if I was a master gunner, I would just spend all of my time in like my office pretending that I needed to sift more gunpowder because like <laughs> who would know? Who else would look at like a, a giant sieve full of like brown or just like grey powder and be like, mm, yeah, I can tell how many lumps are in that. You just be like, yeah. no, I'm just still going. It's I'm just something going. That's just so a, much. I'm there so was a overworked, leak. Stacey, please. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I just got to get this done. I mean, otherwise we don't have cannons. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we need to be ready. Need to be ready for those cannons. <laughs> Wait, but why, what, what's he avoiding? You know, having to do other work, I feel. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just feel like I'd be a very lazy pirate. A lot, of, a lot of these roles would fulfil other roles. So if any of them were a musician, um, actually, that's something fun about uh, the, the articles that some of the famous pirates wrote. I recommend that, that you look them up. There are two famous pirates that wrote lots of articles on what happened on a ship, uh, how much people get paid, that sort of stuff. But let's see if I can find it. This is from Bartholomew Wait. Roberts. So this is Blackbeard. Pirates wrote these things. Yeah, pirates wrote these. 
that just sounds like they're having a bitch at that point. <laughs> and then I have to pay this guy this much. <laughs> um, but one of them is an article 11 on Blackbeard's articles was the musicians, ha- the musicians are to have rest on the Sabbath day, but the other six days and nights, none without special favor. So if you were a musician on deck, you only had Sundays off, or only had Saturdays off. Um, Unless you something bad was happening, you had to get the captain's permission to have another night off from playing your instrument. I mean, don't sound too bad, does it? It's that's it, pretty good. Like they were other crew members, but I assume that would mean they put in the they put on the late shift. I don't know. I'd rather like sit around and play a fiddle than like climb the rigging of a goddamn <laughs> pirate ship in the middle of the ocean. I, I think mean, I know which job I'd prefer. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then you know you hear the role of the swab. That was actually just every every member of the ship. Uh, was the swab at some point. They were just the ones that mopped the deck that day. Um, uh, so it was like kitchen duty. Yeah, it's just kitchen duty. Um, and the same deal um, on pirate, pirate ships. You wouldn't tend to have uh, a cook or a chef or, you know, uh, somebody who would be set to prepare meals. That was just a rotating roster. Damn. Yeah. So a lot of the other jobs would just be, you know, who want, who's doing it tonight? Okay. You know, I drew the short straw. I'm doing it on Tuesday. So you're telling me I can be a fearsome pirate and you still have to cook. This is bullshit. <laughs> is it, that's just, no. That's that's just it. What did you even become a pirate for, Danae, honestly? Uh, not to cook, I'll tell you that. It feels like such a waste. You might yeah. as well have not even done it. Exactly. Yeah. I'll just make my uh, my bacon on my shores and sell them to the ships at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I not bother becoming a buccaneer. <laughs> just go back to smoking meat. Fuck like this. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that's about all I've got prepared as far as um, the roles on a ship, uh, about who you're actually going to find on it. Lachlan, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what sort of encounters you can build with with a pirate in your games? Yeah, okay. So it's pirates are kind of easy because um, unlike a lot of things that I feel like we're going to talk about over the course of this podcast, pirates are just kind of people and they can kind of do whatever they want, whenever they want, and that's the beauty of pirates. But um, there's... A few, a few things that I think are probably, like, I guess worth thinking about when you're, like, sort of considering including pirates into your game. Mm. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, you can to kind of flesh them out because, um, again, like, pirates had very codified rules about interacting with each other, mm. even if they um, were very lawless when it came to interacting with uh, people outside of... Yeah, they uh, oddly had a lot of, you know, rules within the ship and between each other. Um, not that they necessarily followed them all, but they had a lot of rules. Yeah, there, there was, like, a moral code and, like, laws and, like, structure and stuff. And that sort of thing will add kind of depth and life to, like, a pirate community. It'll make it feel a little bit more immersive, I suppose, than just showing up on a ship in the middle of chaos, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you could also, uh, I would consider if I were trying to include pirates in my game, um, trying to find a way to not just have your players work against pirates, but, but perhaps find a way for them to work with pirates, create uh, something of like a more interesting, uh, kind of experience. That's like a little bit different from the classic, like D and D going through dungeons kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Well, I know, um, one of... I, I've recently been listen, listening to Critical Role, um, one of probably the most well-known Dungeons & Dragons podcasts. Um, but one of their story arcs, they've had a journey out at sea for about eight episodes. Yeah. Um, and that's eight sessions where they went, you know, sailing in various times. Uh, they found uh, a pirate hub uh, and then made their way back out. It was fantastic. And it wasn't just them fighting pirates. It was them being pirates. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a sort of experience that your party's going to remember for longer than just going out and shooting some pirates and going home, mm. um, I would suggest. Getting to know your actual crew members um, and you know the individual pirates is going to be so much more memorable. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, um, when you're kind of trying to flesh out pirate characters, um, that I figure that there's just kind of a few simple questions to that you can ask yourself to kind of get the ball rolling. So, like, try and work out why they became pirates, how they became pirates. Because mm. um, you've got to consider that pirates piracy requires a very specific set of skills, especially on a ship um, 
where people are doing things a little bit more communally and sharing the work a little bit more um, yeah. as opposed to like a naval vessel. So where did they get those skills and why did they stop doing whatever they got those skills from to become a pirate? Just kind of flesh out their backstory. I mean, like in this scenario, is piracy respected like it was in ancient Greece or is it a little more outlawed like you'd see in, in a Roman and English and Chinese settings? Yeah. Um, another thing that I thought would be interesting would be looking at what it was that actually secured them a spot on the ship because that's going to kind of inform their relationship with everyone around them. So is it because they've been, they're world-renowned pirates? Are they uh, naval officers that have offered to defect? Um, how, were they captured and put on the ship? Mm. Um, was it because they offered to pay something or do a favour? or um, And those sort of just, just like working out what it is that they're there for and how they convinced the people in charge of deciding who's on the ship to let them on the ship is going to kind of flesh out not only the characters, but I think... Yeah, that's going to be really interesting uh, for the dynamic, how everyone ended up there. Yeah. Well, just like everything, it's like you don't want a cardboard cutout Mary Sue. What distinguishes your character from others? Exactly. It's it's not going to be, hey, this pirate is Blackbeard and this pirate is Jack Sparrow. You want interesting characters that you actually know the background to and that you can work with that, especially in D&D or like in tabletop games where you're going to see a lot of um, players interacting in unexpected ways with your characters. Yeah, because I think the thing to keep in mind whenever you're DMing um, is that your job as a DM is to get a group of people together at a table and have them watch you make stuff up and Google things and read from notes and clearly be inventing something with nothing but audio to back it up and make it so believable that they still are convinced that it's important. Yeah, it's... And that requires that requires knowing the world, whether that be through extensive notes or because you're confident in your improv skills or whatever that may be. You have to know your world for the players to believe it. Have you guys ever heard of the iceberg theory when it comes to world building? I, I think I've seen reference to it. Um, Basically, it's it's the concept that the author, because it's generally about novelists, will only reveal about 10% of what they know about the world through the book because that's the stuff that comes out naturally. But that 10% is informed by another 90% of vast and deep and rich knowledge about the world that they've created. And all of that stuff doesn't have to come out and be explicitly said, but by informing that 10%, that 10% becomes so rich and so realistic that it's a much better experience for everyone involved. So like you're saying, Lachlan, you know, if if you know your world so well, you can pepper in these little things, these little differences, and it'll it'll be believable. They can suspend their disbelief even as you're looking at your notes. Yeah, it's like your players don't need to necessarily know every ancient pirate tradition but maybe that would if you do then that would inform the conversations and make them feel more organic yeah yeah absolutely yeah well a lot of a lot of your characters they're not going to know pirates they you know typically when we build a fantasy character they're going to be from inland um so it'll be really cool when they first encounter a pirate for you to reveal to them you know bits and pieces of pirate life yeah and that's the that's the beauty of it you always control how much information is given at any given time. There's no way for players in D&D to accidentally find something out because you you control the, the information through the whole process. Yeah. Um, so uh, in terms of like actual mechanics for pirates, um, there's some pretty well-codified rules, uh, in specifically in terms of D&D. Um, and as a free option is there was in 2018, I believe, an unearthed uncut, pardon me, Unearthed Arcana release that basically went into the prototype ship rules, uh, which were recently released properly in the yeah, Ghosts, uh, of, Ghosts Saltmarsh. of Saltmarsh. Um, so I'm not going to get like super into it because it's lots of it's rules. published materials. You can find material. it um, if you purchase Ghosts of Saltmarsh. But um, if you're not going to read it, I think the one thing that was the most interesting takeaway looking at it myself was it set up the, so every different part of the ship is its own kind of entity. Uh, like, everything has its own stats. Mm. So, like, the 
battering ram has a different AC and different health and different actions to the main mast, for instance. Yeah, and if you're if you're manning the cannons, then you've got to deal with completely different stuff to if you're steering the ship. Yeah, because ships are big enough that they can fit many, many people on them, so you're never going to be able to hit an entire ship at once. And battles on ships are going to feel a lot more dynamic if the players know what parts of the ships yeah. in what condition and what happen, what's, been, what's happening everywhere. It makes it feel kind of bigger and grander. Yeah, and I guess if you're on a pirate ship in real life, you're never going to control more than what's in your immediate view. And so how cool is it as players if you each get to take on a role there and you have between you a, a ship that's under your command? Yeah. Um, and I guess, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to kind of talk about were just some general ideas for, I guess, encounters and reasons that your party would be dealing with pirates. And again, it's pretty broad because pirates, again, can kind of do whatever they want. But you've got some pretty obvious kind of things to, go, to consider. You've got like mutinies and other kinds of pi- internal pirate hierarchy-based tensions. Yeah. Um, but then pirates were enemies with everyone that weren't pirates in that specific crew as kind of a rule. So you've got all sorts of, um, you could have nations and sea monsters and wildlife out in the ocean and other pirates and all sorts of people. Nobody would have liked pirates. So you can yeah. pretty much give them whatever enemy you want. And I mean, as far as, it's, it's a good way to, to split, ten- to create some personal tension within the party is if you have allegiances to you know, a, certain, a certain empire or a certain town back home, pit your pirates against them. Yeah, absolutely. Because that would be seen as a very... That wasn't done as a pirate. You know, mm. you were meant to forsake all former allegiances. So, But I imagine there would have been some people who still had either a hatred for or a love for a particular nation or a particular idea or philosophy, and, and the other pirates would not have enjoyed that. And a lot of nations at the time were very, in, or I guess in real life in equivalent eras, were very kind of totalitarian um, and had a lot of control over like public sentiment about the nation itself. So mm-hmm. while people may not have any specific qualms with attacking the military of a nation, they may have concerns about attacking supply routes of a nation that they're told it's well-being is directly related to the well-being of maybe family or friends that they have in yeah, that region. Yeah, if fair. they hate the military of their of their old nation, they're not going to think twice about hitting up a, a naval battalion. But if it's the supply routes that's going to bring food back home, that's going to cause some tension. Yeah. It's a different story. Um, and the, like, the last thing I had was I just wanted to, and I want to try and make this a recurring thing, just an idea of kind of a story hook and a bigger kind of quest that you could go on that relates to pirates. Yeah. So um, kind of building off of something Tully was saying um, a little bit during the recording, but also before uh, about how uh, powder monkeys were so mistreated and would so often be unhappy with their roles for very good reason. Mm. Um, the idea that I thought was maybe uh, there's a powder monkey... F- that lives on like a floating pirate fortress is smuggling gunpowder off the ship to sell. Ah. Um, and the quarter, maybe the quartermaster and the first mate approach the party at port to investigate and go undercover. And perhaps as the quest evolves, they realize that maybe the powder monkeys qualms, their, their, the powder monkeys rebellion against this pirate society is a little bit more justified than the original brief made it seem. That is like very that. cool. I like that. Just a, uh, yeah. Cool thing to think about. Yeah. Um, what we might do now is take a quick break. We're going to build a bit of a pirate ship uh, together. Then we're going to come back and share it with you guys. See you soon. And we're back. So we've been talking lots about what you could do with your pirates in your game. So... We've decided to build something for ourselves and show you how it's done. Yeah, we figured that this would be just a cool demonstration, or maybe not a cool demonstration, but hopefully at least an interesting demonstration of sort of the sorts of things that you could do and the sorts of things that you can make when you bring all of these components and all of this like information together into like a cohesive whole and just kind of give you some inspiration, give you some ideas to think about 
when you're creating your own sort of story hooks and quests and exactly yeah so we decided to take Lachlan's prompt of the powder monkey Uh, so someone has approached your party they've said look we're having a problem someone's stealing gunpowder and the party eventually finds out that it's one of the powder monkeys and decides oh actually the powder monkeys have a bit of a point they're pretty not really treated that well and maybe they decide to escape with them maybe they decide to side with the pirates your choice yeah it's up to the party how they react to this sort of situation but uh, do you want to talk about how we get our party onto the ship yeah so it's pretty easy at the end of the day to get a party to go where you need them to go you just kind of have to have them in a place in this case probably a some docks and have them be approached by someone and no one else and then the party will just listen to that person so mm-hmm. you could have like a dock hand come over and be like oh uh, you lot uh, uh, the quartermaster ugly jim wants to see you and like point over to a ship and if that's the only person that the party's spoken to since arriving at the docks then they're probably going to go there yeah and so I guess who can we resist Ugly Jim? <laughs> exactly. Who can resist Ugly Jim? Who can resist someone with a name like that? We have named all of the characters. Yes, we have. It's um, a necessity, really. So, I guess, so our party, let's just assume that they take your story hook because, um, I mean, if they don't take that sort of prompts, then what are they doing? Um, Honestly, not a party I'd ever want to DM. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we go over to the ship and we meet up with Ugly Jim. Mm. So, I was just going to say that party is like the epitome of a bratty sub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a party I'd want to DM. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, so we go under the ship. We meet uh, Ugly Jim, and Ugly Jim is the quartermaster. He's you know, he's a, a young upstart dude. He's a little bit bloodthirsty. Um, nobody really knows if he was, and he's a bit bit of a dick. Nobody really likes him. Because the quartermaster wasn't elected like the captain was, so the quartermaster could kind of be a bit of a dick. As long as they represented the crew's interests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if someone called me Ugly Janae, I'd <laughs> feel like a bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, as, as a sort of contrast to that, if you've got your captain who is democratically elected, um, we've, we've established that to name a captain, all you need to do is have a colour and a body part. Uh, so as such... Because so, we've got, you know, Blackbeard, um, we've got... Bluebeard. Bluebeard, Greybeard. Uh, how many thousand? <laughs> I think the last one was a wizard. Um, neither of those two <laughs> were pirates. Bluebeard and Greybeard, neither of whom are pirates. Bluebeard was a pirate. Bluebeard was like a, an old French dude who killed all his wives. Oh, really? Oh, no, oh, wow. he was too. You're yeah. right. Bluebeard was just like some aristocrat who loved killing women. Okay, well, maybe he wanted to be a pirate. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got our captain... Grey Nose, uh, who is old, experienced. He's you know he has shown his worth in battle, but now he's a bit old. He's more of a tactician than anything else. But because he's fought many battles, he's you know very experienced. People like him, so he's sort of a nice guy that oh, you can. Maybe he's called Grey Nose because he sniffs gunpowder for fun. <laughs> oh, that's fun! What a fun work! I, like, I like right? that. I like that gunpowder snorter. And, um, and the beauty the beauty of pirates when it comes to names specifically is that a lot of them kind of picked their own names. They had pseudonyms that were either that assigned to them by other pirates or or by kind of stories about them or names that they gave themselves. So then so you can have names like Grey Nose and Ugly Jim and stuff that kind of like tells more of a story and informs like who that character is, maybe a bit more than the name of your uh, inland innkeep might, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and tells you a lot about how the other crew members think about them. Yeah. Mm. Um, but then I guess if we're doing some investigation, we we discover, you know, if we meet one of the powder monkeys, they're not sort of known as much on the ship, so they're just going to go by their regular name. Um, <laughs> we're just going to, you know, any name off the top of our head, something, you know. Just a name that no one's ever been called. Yeah, let's call him Winona Ryder. Beautiful. Um, and so our... Sounds our unique. Pa- yeah. So our powder monkey, Winona Ryder, um, is you know stealing some gunpowder and selling it on the side, and um, you know the, the party listens to them and turns out they've got a bit of a point. They're running a dangerous job. They're constantly at risk and getting only as much rationing as anybody else is. Only as many of the spoils as 
any other crew member. Not to mention they're probably like 12 years old. Yeah, exactly. Well, the powder monkeys were teenagers, so this is, you know... A, Sorry, a, 13 years old. <laughs> right, yes. Um, but yeah, like, as, as young as 12 or 13, you know, um, so they're kind of doing something they're not really shouldn't be having to do at such a young age. Where is their occupational work and... Yeah. And hazard pay, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And with a with a dynamic like a respected captain and ruthless quartermaster, considering that the quartermaster is the go-between between the crew and the captain, if any if they were the one mistreating members of the crew, then how would the captain ever find out? So then you can sort of have a power struggle kind of dynamic that then just comes in just by nature of how the roles on the ship worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess just um, to kind of cap this off, um, you know, we can't have pirates on our, in our game without naming the ship. Of right? course. Exactly. So we thought, what better than the Lusty Siren? Yeah, And because perfect. every respectable pirate ship needs to have, you know, a figurehead, the Lusty Siren really could just be the Starbucks logo uncropped yeah <laughs> you just see all the way down just all the way down spread open there we are where's that oh. tail end let's find out let's find out what that together. tail do girl <laughs> <laughs> and on that note i think that is the end of tonight's episode um oh, we hope you hope you've enjoyed let us know if you've used any of our tips to build your pirates in game and uh, if there's something else that you'd like us to look into we would love to hear from you we're available at at dungeon deep dive on twitter Instagram and Facebook and at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear anything about what you've done with our podcast, whether you've enjoyed it, if you've got any suggestions or things you'd like to see. If you like it, remember to rate and review in all the places that you do that. Yep, all the podcasters of choice. Um, I've been told that that's a good thing. Yep, we should be on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, hopefully Spotify soon, uh, and any podcatcher of your choice. And until next time. Yeah, hey, yeah, hey. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.